0: All right. Yeah. Hey. We're uh, we're I'm Daniel and my wife Ashley's back there with our son, little baby boy Kaius. He's seven months. And um, yeah, we're missionaries with uh, Ministries, and it's it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Um, yeah. I'm 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 excited. It, it's an honor to be here and speaking um, on su- on such a big day, a day where we're giving um, to missions. This is something that's that's on my heart, not, not just because I'm a missionary, but because I believe in God's work and what he's doing, and I know it should affect our finances, and so I am so honored to be speaking, and it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a fun week being on campus, hanging out with students, talking, getting to know students, uh, Wednesday, uh, me and some guys, we prayed for the Arab world, and so whoever was there, yeah, um, that was fun on Thursday. I got to join in on Ian's small group, and those guys are rowdy. Man, like, I came back home, and I, I was just drained. I was like, I didn't even, like, exercise or anything. I am just mentally drained. But, yeah, we talked about prayer, and I shared my story, and, um, yeah. So it's been a fun week, and, yeah, and it's especially special being here because, like, Christopher was talking about friends for life. You know, we, we're, co- we, we're coming up on our – or it's already been 10 years since I first met Christopher – you know, my, some of my best friends are here, uh, Frankie, Ian, um, you know, Sean and Sean and Charles, they're my brothers, they're just not my best friends, but you know, uh, it, it's, it's fair. But uh, yeah, we, we live life together. I mean, uh, these guys were, were crazy. I mean, the first night I hung out with them, we got the cops called on us, and uh, I just remember being like a little fre- freshman, and the cops taking my ID, I'm like, oh man, what's going to be, what's going to happen? Are they going to call my mom? But um. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, we went through um, just fun times with Jesus and hard times as well. Um, we were transparent with each other, just vulnerable and these are these are friends that really stick um, because we have a common interest in Jesus, and I mean, even just Ian and Lindsay, just amazing friends, like they they hosted us at their house, and you know we. We go up to the guest room and I'm like, okay, they got some pictures of themselves in their guest room. You know, on, on the wall above the bed. And then, you know, I'm 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 snooping around the, the house and I'm like, okay, there's the baby's room, there's the other toddler's room and, and then I like I think their bedroom's right there, and then I see Ian open it up and it's the closet. And I'm like, guys, where's where's y'all's bedroom? And he's like, Y'all are sleeping in our bedroom. We're sleeping on the couches and we're here for like a week and you know, they don't even have a guest room, but they're, they're just wanting to host us, and s- such great friends. And so, yeah. So just a quick history. Uh, my wife and I, we met at Sam Houston Chi as as freshmen, and yeah, we're, we, were, we were in small group, and just within that first year, God really did a work in our lives. So, I was just a, a, a new Christian. My wife gave her life to the Lord that, that freshman year, that first semester, And we realized, man, as Christians, we have a responsibility for other people's eternities. And so we wanted to be small group leaders. And that same winter conference, they had the World Mission Summit. And basically, it's just a big conference about missions. And I walked away telling God, I want to be a missionary for you. I don't know what that looks like, but I want to do this for you. And so, you know, during our time in college, they did a good job bringing tons of missionaries to come speak, share their heart about um, where they're serving at. We've had the, just an amazing chance to be all over the world on mission trips and, and seeing what God's doing around the world. Um, and, yeah, and then once we finished up school, we're like, okay, we're, we're ready to go. So, you know, we do the whole process, raise money, and, yeah, went. To, we spent two years there. And so basically what we've, been, what we've been doing there these past two years is we've been on the training team, learning up, um, you know, it, we really just had this burden, this vision, but we didn't know, like, what the work's going to look like. So we were just in training mode for two years. We're learning what does it mean to plant the church in. Um, we're learning Arabic. <clears throat> we're learning how to share the gospel um, to Muslims, how to sh- share the gospel in, in, in this culture context and how to work together as a team, that, that was a big one. And yeah, and we, I just remember getting to, the first time I got to, or we landed in, Man, we are just a bunch of newbies, we didn't know what we were doing, just amateurs and totally unqualified. And at the end of those two years, we were still all those things, except we just, we just spoke Arabic. But, uh, but really, you know, it, it, it just showed the, the reality of the work that needs to be done. And that it's God that's doing the work, but he invites us to do it. And so uh, if you could pull up the, the first picture um, or the first slide. Um, so this is, if you can see it well, this is uh, our beautiful country. So you'll see many exciting things uh, if you travel the world. Like uh, a family, They're, you can't see, but they got their little boy in between them. And they are hauling on a motorcycle, bringing in a suitcase. <laughs> And the next one my. It it, it, up, it went up. So this guy brought his dog on his motor. He didn't he didn't want to walk it around town. He said I'll just drive it to entertain it. And um, the the last picture. It's very it's very special to me. It it speaks a lot. It's um this is inside a taxi, and uh, that's the driver's belt buckle buckled behind the seat. <laughs> and um, it, over there for some reason in taxis they don't they don't wear seat buckles. And you can't wear seat buckles. In fact, if you buckle your seat, they will get angry at you. They'll say, No, 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 don't don't buckle that. And I had to pray many times for my <laughs> Yeah, it, it is scary the way they, they drive so recklessly. But um but not just in um in these silly ways or these nerve-wracking ways is this culture so different. But um in many countries like it, uh they're so different from, from our culture here. Here in America, because there is such a lack of, of the access of, of, of the gospel. I have had the huge responsibility that many of my friends I was the first Christian that they ever met. And if we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, um, then all people should hear the gospel. All people should have access to the gospel, and even more than that, God deserves to be glorified to the ends of the earth. And so, in a place like God's not being glorified. His presence, his church, the body of Christ is not there. And this breaks the heart of God. And this breaks my heart. And it should break your heart. And an author I really like, Oswald J. Smith, he says, If God wills the evangelization of the world, and you refuse to support missions then you oppose the will of God. And so I know tonight is an opportunity to give. I know Sean already gave the announcement to give, but if you feel like you have not given everything that you can possibly give tonight to this cause, um, it's still not too late. I don't think it was too hard to memorize the Vemo and the cash app, but, you know, send it, send it now. I don't mind if you're on your phone while I'm, I'm talking, but... Yeah, so it's a it's a privilege to be here. And yeah, so tonight I'm going to be talking about the cost of following Jesus. And so if you can turn to Mark 10 verse 17. <laughs> All right. So this is talking about Jesus. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. And even in the Gospel of Matthew, it said, he says, what am I still lacking? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have <laughs> treasures in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then you don't have to turn, but in Luke 9, 59, to another Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow, and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we want to follow you. Jesus, We most, I assume most are here because they want to follow you, Lord, or at least are interested in it. God, would you, through your word, and use me tonight, God, to see how we can better follow you, Lord, how we can give everything for not just your cause, not just, yeah, not just a cause, not just even your cause, Lord, but for you, give everything for you, God. Would you would you just speak to us through your word? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you're, you've read your Bible a lot, you might be familiar with this story. And even if you're not, if you're not, if you are, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about who this man is. You know, like, doesn't, don't we kind of want to know who, who this guy is? You know, like, who, could we get a name or something? Um, but they really just call him the rich young ruler. But some of the things that we can know um, tell us a little bit. So just a little bit of background on this guy. Um, he knew the commandments, for one. So he, he had to be a Jew. And so he, he knew the law. He was he was rich, and especially in that time, I think in all times, money is equivalent to status, to power, authority, and that was backed by his title of ruler. They called him the rich young ruler, and so he could have been um, a leader, a Jewish leader in the synagogue, their place of, of uh, their central place of um, religious place of teaching and all that. But most importantly, we can know a lot about this man's heart just through his this one interaction with jesus and so just a, a quick summary of, of what happens so here's this guy he comes up to jesus and he, he <clears throat> in just such a um emotional way i mean running and kneeling and, and making a scene um you know the the, the writers are, are writing about this because they they saw this happen and um Making a scene, and and he asks him this question, I want eternal life. And Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments, you know the laws. And he responds with, all these things I've done since I was a little boy. But um, what else am I still lacking? Is there there something else? And Jesus, being Jesus, tells him the one thing he doesn't want to hear. He says, he, he knows everything about him. And he tells him, give everything you have away and follow me. And so we see that through this interaction that there's there's something missing in his life. There's something lacking. That even after he's he's kept all the commandments according to his his own word, he's kept all the commandments, but still there's there's something missing that's not satisfying him. And so he's look he's looking for an answer and he finds out that the answer is Jesus. He, and he came to him expecting words from a, a good teacher, but in fact, the man that's standing before him, the person that he's questioning, is God himself with all authority, and he's only left with two choices, yes or no, obedience, or disobedience. And so, he has this eternal conflict, and he's discussing with Jesus, but he needs to stop discussing and start obeying. We should not be asking questions. We should be acting upon commands. And the funny thing is, the more that we contemplate and think Upon the commands of Jesus, the harder it gets to obey. And this is exactly what this young man did. I mean, it's, it seemed like he did everything right. I mean, he, in public, he ran to Jesus. He seemed so enthusiastic. I mean, you can't run, you know, um, monotone, I don't know the equivalent word, you know. <laughs> But he runs to Jesus, and he even gets down on his knees. I mean, that's, that's a sign of humbleness, to get on your knees before someone. And he's even confessing his heart. He's like, Lord, I want to live forever. And if he would have just taken just one more step, his story would have ended a different way. He would have been saved. If he would have just taken that last step and given everything to Jesus. But listen, some of y'all may have come here tonight to meet with Jesus. But if you're not careful, you get to walk away from him. When we look at this man, we see how we can do so much, yet do nothing. I mean, he knew all the commandments. And we can see how we can know so much, how he knew so much, and yet he was still deceived. How good and moral he seemed to the world, yet still turned his back on Jesus. I mean, he had an interaction with Jesus in the flesh and walked away from him. You can, have, you can talk to Jesus and walk away from him. In fact, you can do more than that. You can live with Jesus and still not know him. And a perfect example is Judas. He lived with him for three years and ended up trading him for Thirty pieces of silver, and some of y'all may have traded him for less than that. And I don't say this to be harsh, but I say this because the truth is, when Judgment Day comes, you will not be held responsible not only for what you have done, but for what you might have done if you had been obedient. When we look at the second disciple; he wants to bury his father before he follows Jesus. And the law obligates him to. What he wants to do, he, he knows it's good, it's right. And what's interesting is most commentaries, when they talk about this, they give varying responses to what, what's going on here, but they all come to basically the same conclusion, that his dad's not dead yet. And really, this is backed up by Jewish law, in the sense that when someone, when somebody passes, that they had to be buried the next day, by the next day. And so I don't think Jesus would have been caught up if he was like, hey, let me just bury my dad tomorrow, and then I'll follow you. You know, he, he had it, still been alive, and he just had put in family above Jesus, and that's a common thing sometimes. And even me not being a family man, if I'm being ominous, um, with my father and mother and siblings, family is still a hard thing to um, confront even. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing to confront when following Jesus and, and, and the conflict that it can, it, can, um, it can convey sometimes. And so I wanted to call my wife up here really quickly to um, just share about her experience because for her, it's been a little bit harder with family. But just to share her experience of um, when following Jesus, what it's looks like with, with family and everything. So, yeah, give her a hand.
1: Yeah, I just
0: wanted to share.
1: Um, yeah, we just were in for two years. So just like our first time there, we knew what we were giving up before we went. But obviously actual things happening were a lot different than what we kind of thought we were giving up. So just in our two years there, um, my grandma passed away and um, it was my dad's biological mom. So we actually just like found her in 2018, just through like those wonderful DNA websites. And so she just came into my life Um, and had a few, my half sister, her grandparents passed away too while we were gone. Um, she got engaged and had like wedding dress, try-ons while we were there. Thankfully, we got to come back to be a part of her wedding. Um, and then, yeah, Caius was born, which we had some family come and visit, but not everyone, of course. And we just know now having him that there's going to be so many new things for him and so many life changes for him and for our siblings as our siblings get older and as our parents get older that we just won't be able to be a part of. Um, but yeah, God has just met us with every every little detail, every little thing. Um, I'm just even that much more grateful that I got to meet my grandma in just the perfect time. And um, yeah, um, I think what I can come back to is just that you know, my life is not for me, I'm not here for what makes me happy, you know, I don't get to just live my life for my family, to just spend all my time with them, which I would actually really love to do, Um, but yeah, we're not put here just for our family, and so, yeah, and not that are more important than my family, or anyone in another country is more important, but Jesus is more important, and he's worth it.
0: It so wonderfully nothing should come between jesus and our calling to him following him even that which is holiest um, and right because that's the same mistakes that the pharisees made and so i want to ask you this question to think about for the rest of this night what is hindering you what is it that ha- you have in mind when Jesus is calling you to follow him? Is it a certain place that you don't want to go? Is it a certain thing you don't want to give up? Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere except for that place. <laughs> or, Lord, I'll follow you. Just don't call me to leave this behind. But Jesus says to leave everything behind and follow him. Your profession, your family, your people, and whoever heard this, the words of Jesus knew at that time that it was a call to simple obedience, what he says we do. And so, yeah, so we know that we've been saved by grace and that grace and that salvation is a free gift from God. Um, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't cost us something. And so um, this next quote from a book called Cost of Discipleship, which is where this message is inspired from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The first chapter is called Cheap Grace. And so he talks about the idea of cheap grace versus costly grace. And that sometimes we have a view of, of, we give um, a view of grace, we give it this cheap view. And so he says that grace is costly because it calls to discipleship. It is grace because it calls us to follow Christ. It is costly because it costs people their lives. It is grace because it therefore makes them live. It's costly because it condemns sin. It is grace because it justifies the sinner. And the most important part, above all, grace is costly because it was costly to God, because it cost God the life of God's son, and because nothing can be cheap to us which is costly to God it's got to cost you something, following Jesus. You can't follow him. What we see in the Bible, what we see throughout history, you can't follow him and keep everything with you. It's got to cost you something. And so as we follow Jesus, those things which compete with him in our lives, whether they're good or bad, we must lay down at the foot of the cross. And so I want to look at A man who has followed jesus well from the bible and see how we can learn from him and so in matthew 9 9 is a short verse and it says as jesus passed by he saw a man called matthew sitting at the place of toll and he said unto him follow me and he arose and followed him man how simple was that encounter you see how the rich young ruler had this whole story, and Matthew's story is just basically like one sentence? But there was definitely, there was definitely much more to that. I, I, I mean, you can only imagine. I mean, this is Matthew writing about himself. I mean, how humble. He didn't even talk about how he had this big feast for other tax collectors and sinners and invited everybody to his house. He, he leaves the other gospel writers um, to do that task. Uh, But I could only imagine what what that encounter, what that that moment must have been like. You know, Matthew, he too knew the law. And he must have been sitting at at his place of toll where where he's working. And the hours are going by. And and I'm sure he was thinking about heavenly things, about the eternal, about this, this hunger that he has in his heart. And he's just thinking to himself, man, will I ever be satisfied? Will I ever meet him, the one that will fill my soul? And then here comes along Jesus, walking by him. And he just says, follow me, Matthew. And he did it without asking any questions, instantly. And you know, he already knew what he would have done when this moment came. Because he did it so quickly. He left all. And his all was the possibility of becoming very rich. I mean, people saw them as betrayers of their own people. But that didn't mean they didn't make a lot of money with this job. And his all was, was a lot. I mean, he left everything. His business, his office, his position, his friends. He left all to follow Jesus. And he counted the cost, and he saw that it was worth it. And the thing is is that, and sometimes we have this thought, but Matthew, he could have had Jesus as a helper for all kinds of things. He could have had Jesus improve his, his work, dignify his labor. He, he could have had him reform his job and help people where he's at. But he wouldn't recognize him as the, lo- the one Lord, and to whose he should entrust his whole life to. And we see that in the end of his life, um, out of biblical context, but church history tells us that Matthew actually traveled to Africa, and so he was, he was a missionary, and specifically he went to Ethiopia and Tradition says that he died from impalement, that they speared him to death, and so here's a man who was faithful unto death, and he followed him well. There's another story, I'll leave their names out because it's more recent, but of two missionaries who went to China, and they're visiting a remote village in China, and they're going and they, they're sharing the gospel with people in this village, and, and it's crazy. It's like revival. People left and right. Everybody's coming to Jesus. They share the story, and people are, are receiving and following Christ. And then one of the, one of the vil, village elders comes up, and they, they share with him, and, and, or they had shared with him. And, and he's like, oh, man, this is so amazing that Jesus came and, and died for us and saved us from from our sins. How long ago did this happen? This this happened like last week or last month? And the missionaries were like, oh man, no, this this happened 2,000 years ago. And the elder just had this heavy look on his face. And he just tells him, what took y'all so long? One of my heroes, Samuel Zwemer, they nicknamed him the Apostle to Arabia. He was a missionary to Arabia in the 1900s. He says, I feel now that Arabia could easily be evangelized within the next 30 years if it were not for the wicked selfishness of Christians. Why wait for a call when we have a command from Jesus and a need If you will, I'll, I'd like to share a story from my time. One of my favorite cities, and I have, I think I put it in the slides. And we visited many times. Is um, they call it the city, and you went right, yeah. And it's a beautiful city. I mean, you, yeah, you see the picture. Picture doesn't do it justice, or the slide doesn't do it justice. Picture is a little bit better. But they have this little height you can do. 15 minutes. You get on the top of this hill, and you can see the entire city, and and it's just amazing. You, you get to watch the sunset behind the mountains, and it's just it's just gorgeous. You're just in the countryside, and it's a small town, and on top of this hill, I had met a friend. He had a camera, and I had a camera, and I was like, this is easy. Hey, you know, hey, let's talk about camera stuff, and we exchange names and information. I tell him that I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm from America, all that stuff, and, um, and I asked him this question, a question that I ask everybody, even though I think I know, I know the answer all the time, but I asked him, so are you, are you a Muslim? And he goes, he actually surprised me, he goes, no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I mean, my parents, they, they brought me up as a Muslim, but now I, I, I've seen too many things, I just don't believe in it, and I, I just don't really believe in anything right now. But it's interesting that you tell me that you're a Christian because I have, I have met a Christian before, once before, and they shared about Jesus with me, and I was really interested. I really wanted—I um, actually tried to be a Christian at one point in my life, but then I went searching around my town, and I found that there's not, there's not any churches in my city. There's not even any Christians that I can go to ask questions about how to be a Christian. And so I kind of just— gave up on it it was too difficult that's insane that this city is so deprived of the gospel that even those that want to be saved can't be saved and the story doesn't end there we continue to discuss and he's he's still hungry he's asking me all these questions about Jesus and I share my testimony. We're talking about different things about what it means to be a Christian and we end up exchanging numbers. And he even visits me the next week in, in my city. It's about two hours away. And I share the gospel with him and I leave him with a Bible and the rest is that it's just through text message. And it's just incredible how God has no limits. A couple months later, he, he texts me, he says, um, he's having tells me about this conversation he has, and he says, um, he refers to himself as a Christian. I'm like, wait a minute. Last I checked, you were not a Christian. So I asked him, I texted him, I'm like, what do you mean by you're a Christian? Um, and he responded, I, I mean that I believe in Jesus and I follow his teachings. And that those were his words. And... It was just crazy. And then the next, maybe like a week later, he texted me, like, Yeah, I converted to Christianity. I follow Jesus now. And it's amazing. Just God working all around the world, even in places, even in a city like that. But the truth still remains there's not a church in his city, there's not believers. And he, he's texting me and telling me, like, Dana, I'm so, I'm so fearful. I, I'm scared to tell people that I'm a Christian. I don't want to lose my job. Um, I don't want to be exiled from the community. I'm going to lose everything if I follow Jesus. And this is the reality for the people in that part of the world. If they want to follow Jesus, they don't have a choice. They have to lose everything. And so this is why it's important for us to live a life like this. Because God may call you, to people who will give up everything. Even if we look to Christ, as we always do as an example, he gave everything. He gave his own life for all of humanity. And I love this quote from David Livingston. He says, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? I mean, I've, I've said it before. Man, Jesus, I've, I've sacrificed so much for you. No. No, what, what an honor it is that everything I lost counted for the glory of God. And, and it's been a privilege and an honor following Jesus and to this part of the world. And it's been exciting. It's been fun. And God will call you to go to crazy places where they buckle the seatbelts behind the seat. (laughs) Or dangerous places. Or hard places. Or just places that you don't want to go. But remember this. It's not about where we're following him to. It's about who we are following. It's Jesus. Jesus. When we look in the Bible, Jesus, the one who met the woman at the well, and she says, come be a man who knew everything I ever did. Jesus, who stood in the way of the adulterous woman and protected her from stoning. Jesus, who took my pathetic life and gave it purpose and meaning and joy Jesus, who can change your life if you haven't given your life to Jesus and give you purpose? In Revelations, it gives such a wild picture. It says he, his hair is as white as snow. His eyes are like blazing fire. His voice like rushing water. His hands, they're seven stars. And a double edged sword coming out of his mouth. I don't even know what all that means, but... That's crazy. That's the Jesus that we're following. The King of King. The Lord of Lords. God himself. And when he calls, we listen. And so, I like to call the worship band up. And share one more story. So, My wife and I, we've been married for six years. (laughs) (laughs) Nine, I knew. (laughs) Um, We've been married for six years. But, um, yeah, our first year of dating in college wasn't the smoothest. And um, we've actually, we had broken up, like, twice throughout our dating years and gotten back together. But I just remember... Even being in Caiapha and going through training to be a small group leader, still holding on to things. And it was, it was hindering my life. It was hindering my walk with Jesus. And in particular, in that time, it was my relationship with Ashley. There was, you know, one thing that I struggled with was just emotional attachment you know like the fear of just losing somebody friends or all that stuff and i remember just being so overwhelmed with anxiety and and just so much emotions when it, when i thought things were going to go things were going wrong in the relationship and i remember just like just being up all night just crying and like man i don't want to lose her and just this this relationship was I had put in too much priority into it, and it was hurting my walk with Jesus. And I just remember one day, I can't remember if it was after we had gone back together or in the midst of us being broken up or whatnot, but I just remember just beating with God. I just, I, I was just so broken, and with just this emotion anxiety and, and everything and and I just remember just saying him, God, I, I don't want this to consume me anymore. I, I I can't let it consume me anymore. I'm I'm this is too much. I can't bear it. And I just remember telling God, like I'm okay if I lose her. I should be okay. You know, I I shouldn't hold on to anything too tightly that doesn't last. Like or put anything before you Jesus. And I just remember, yeah, after I prayed that, maybe the next day or I don't know if it was in the morning or whatnot, but I just remember pretty soon after, I just felt this peace. And it wasn't the relationship per se, but it was my emotions. It was my, my, my attitude. It was, it, was, it was me. And it was holding me back from really having a true joy in following Jesus. And from that point on, I never struggled with, with anxiety again. And there's been some crazy moments in where I should have been anxious. And I was, I was a little freaked out, I'll be honest. But I, I knew I had solid ground in Jesus Christ. And that... Maybe that's for someone here. Maybe that's what they're struggling with. But even recently, something that I've needed to lay down, my, my identity as a missionary or even just as a, a minister, as, as a working for Jesus. You know, we, we, we have this saying, maybe you heard it, don't let serving God replace knowing God. Your only identity is a child of God. But sometimes I can I can default on that. I can say, you know, try to bring it up in conversation to talk about Jesus. Well, I'm a missionary too. Okay, you know, no. Like, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. Because one day when we get to heaven, there's not going to be need for missionaries. And then what's my identity? So that's what I've been struggling with now. And so, in a minute I'm going to pray, but... I know we'll have the altars up, and I want those where I know that God is trying to point his finger in your heart, that there, there's something, there's one thing, or maybe multiple things that are hindering your walk with Jesus. Maybe it's something that shouldn't be there at all. Like for me, it was anxiety. Or maybe it's something... That should be there. That's okay. Like Ashley shared, family. There's nothing wrong with family. But maybe you need to lay that down. Maybe it's finances. Sometimes we can hold on to our money. We, we want to spend it how we want to spend it. But not how God's calling us to spend our money, our finances. And it's still not too late to make sure that you've given everything to Jesus. And maybe he's calling you to Go. And so, even if you don't know what it is, it shouldn't take long. But if you're not sure, come up to the altar and just seek with God. Just make sure that there's not something in between you and him. Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. But we're not good at it sometimes. Lord, we love other things. And our hearts can be divided sometimes. Help us to give, give our all, Lord, to you. Jesus, you know everything about us. You know what we're struggling with. You know what we're holding on. You know our fears and insecurities. Would you call out right now what, what it is? God, if we're still unclear, would you call out Holy Spirit, speak to us. What is it that I need to lay down? That I need to run up to the altar and seek and lay it down at your cross, God. And help us to trust in you, Jesus. We know that everything's going to be okay when we're with you, even if we lose everything. Yes, Jesus, speak to us.